Well, hello there. Hello. This, this is Paul. And this is Elgin. And we're here with another episode of the Screen Stuff Podcast. Welcome. So what are we talking about this week, Elgin? We are talking about Fahrenheit 451. I always said 451. Is it 451 or 451? I don't know. Does it, does it really <laughs> matter? I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess it doesn't, but... Um, I, I remember reading this book in high school. Yes. I don't know if you read it back then as well. It's very uh, commonly assigned in high school. It is. Yeah. Uh, a book by Ray Bradbury. And it's already been turned into a movie before. Mm-hmm. And HBO Films have, um, I guess, remade it again. Yeah. This time starring Michael B. Jordan, who we, of course, know from... The Black Panther movie, but also from Fruitvale Station and Friday Night Lights, Creed, The Wire, right? Whatever. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's yeah. had an interesting career, yeah. and you know we talked about his performance in Fruitvale Station mm-hmm. many podcasts ago. Yeah, uh, but I think we're both generally fans, and then as well, Michael Shannon. Yeah, he's channeling his very Michael Shannon esque nature. Uh, very scary, kind of looming, tall. I don't know, scary person. <laughs> he's an he's a, he's an interesting fellow. That one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But before we talk about Fahrenheit four fifty one in great detail, you know, as usual, we like to check in, talk about the things that we've been watching on screens, big and small. Anything of of note, Elgin? Yes. Uh, I started to. Uh, well, I actually just finished Dear White People season two. Uh, did you watch the whole thing already? I did. I, and this is on Netflix. That's on Netflix. Okay. I and I came to season one late. Like I didn't watch it right when it came out, and I I still haven't actually seen the movie yet. So um, interestingly enough, I think I've only seen the movie. Okay. I've yeah. been meaning to watch the TV show, but because I saw the movie, I mm. it didn't necessarily prompt me to. Watch the TV show. I yeah, want, I, I want to watch it. Yeah, no, but... it's it's uh, my understanding. Is season one is just like a like a longer version of the movie. Okay. Um, uh, interestingly, though, like it's recast the main character Sam White. I don't know if you recall her from the movie. Um, she's played in this series by Logan Browning, and uh, she was played by I believe Tessa Thompson in the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So she was. Um, she was. She was a very outspoken. Um, radio show host she had a show called dear white people on college radio Mm -hmm. and you know they explore a lot of the different things you know about relationships and what it means to be black um, particularly in the university setting i I thought it was an interesting movie for now i think the movie came out when obama was still president Mm -hmm. and then the uh first season came out right i think right after Trump was elected, or pretty shortly after that. Uh, so you're saying season two now is able to talk about things that are more current based on today's political climate? Yes. So the as you know, the, sh- the show takes place on a, a fictional Ivy League campus. And um, in the season two, the, the, there's a kind of a subplot uh, that revolves around... Um, a, a, an alt-right troll that kind of attacks Sam okay, uh, and kind of the drama that ensues there. I mean, there's yes. other plot lines to explore. Ripped from the headlines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's really well done. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, the the variety of uh, viewpoints within the black community are explored, uh, you know, on sure. campus. And it's just, it's interesting. I mean, also... Well, to, that's that's amazingly what happens when you don't have just one black character in a film. They don't have to <laughs> represent their entire people. Exactly, exactly. And no, but it's also interesting because you know it does take place on a Ivy League campus, so you could be arguing you know, that a lot of these kids it's are the coastal elites. The coastal elites. So you know, I don't know. It's, it's just it's very very fascinating. It gives you a, a look on um, black life, uh, and I guess you know. So the supposed post-racial America that we're in, which we're not, right. uh, you know, it's just, it's just explore so many different issues and, and, but not in some kind of abstract way, but very concrete yep. relationship based ways. And like all the acting in the show is top notch and that props to Logan Browning who plays Sam White. I would also say D Ron Horton who plays Lionel Higgins, who's uh, the black gay character in the show. Who's like a, a budding journalist. He's also a major character. He, he does a very good job. Almost all the other kind of um, uh, secondary act uh, players, they're also very good too. 
it's it it it, i i think it's it's hard to kind of talk about a whole season in five ten minutes but i you know i think it's really worth watching people should check it out i i think it's another trend that we're seeing now that we're a few years less than two years but a few years um, at least since you know the 2016 campaign Mm -hmm. the presidential campaign and how it really is impacting pop culture yeah and you see it Clearly, in like based on what you're describing, the second season of Dear White People, we're seeing it more in the music that's out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about Atlanta. I think Atlanta explores a lot of that. Homeland um, too. Homeland, Homeland's you know, talking about this it. latest season. Of Homeland was all about sure. kind of uh, the culture wars and how um, you know people are pe- people in America are really kind of speaking over each other, perhaps, and not really connecting, not really understanding each other, and uh, yeah, it's it's like it's it's frustrating, but it's like reflecting how uh, how bad it can sometimes get in our country. Right. Well, right and now, you, know? you know, I've been watching the second season of The Handmaid's Tale on mm-hmm. Hulu, which we reviewed formally last year. Yeah, but I think that show also continues to try to. I, I'm not even sure what it's necessarily trying to do explicitly but you know a commentary on well this is what happens when we allow x y and z type of uh you know rights that are being taken away from people Mm -hmm. this is what could happen and and sure it's an extreme version of that yeah but it's pretty clear that they're trying to make a commentary with that show on you know even the current state of affairs uh i know last season they did most of the principal filming and all of that before, before the, the election. election. Yeah. But then post-election, the show still hadn't been released. They they reshot or filmed some scenes, particularly about women marching and things like that, mm. um, as a way to make it feel even more current and urgent and, and those things. So, Are you finding that season two is holding up compared to season one? Yeah, you know, I was worried. And, and honestly, after the first episode of the second season... Um, I wasn't. I caught that too, and I found it really rough. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't feeling it as much just because yeah. it felt like they were just trying to double down on the bleakness and the shock value of the show. And, yeah. And I yeah. wasn't sure. I was afraid that this it would just be more kind of torture porn, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, I hope it's more uh, offers more hope than say like The Walking Dead or something. <laughs> I would say it's still. It's still tough in yeah. terms of the material. It's one of those shows where I wouldn't recommend someone to binge it all at once just because I think you need some recovery time between mm. episodes. <laughs> it's, it's such an intense show. Yeah. But there are certain moments. Um, you know, I don't want to give anything away, uh, but there are certain moments that I think the show is branching out but still focusing on their characters, and it's allowed the characters to do different things this season, which I think has been um, really just interesting. And Can you give me one example? So there's... Uh, it's hard to. So if, if, you're, <laughs> if you haven't seen any of it, this is going to be just minor spoilery. But um, they do talk a little bit about kind of the other side of the world. So normally we've been seeing uh, this world just through the perspective of the elites, the the commanders, and and that sort of side of society. Are we getting to see the colonies or something? So the the colonies are now a part of the story, as well as even just um, the people in between, I would say. I don't Mm. even know how you would describe them, but they're, I would guess what you would consider just the middle class folks who aren't in the colonies. They're still, quote-unquote, following the rules, Mm -hmm. but they're not part of the elite of society either. So they are allowed to live their lives, but they still have to, um, just like you would in any kind of totalitarian military state, Mm. you know, on Sundays, they have to make their appearance at church and they have to, you know, they have to do all of those things to make sure they're checking all the boxes. Got it. Um, But they're not treated anywhere nearly as poorly as all the people that we see in the kind of elite side of Gilead, particularly with the handmaids. Yeah. Um, You see a little bit of a little bit more of the underground culture. You saw a little bit of that also in the first season, more on the side of how the elites are accessing the underground culture. But now you're seeing, similar to what you would expect with the Underground Railroad during Mm. slavery, there's also 
a network. You know, they t- Try, you know, trying they, to get people funneled them to yeah, Canada. Yeah, country. trying to get yeah. people out of the country. You know, yeah, they call yeah. it May Day. Yeah. You know, you, they yeah. talk about, you see a little bit more of like the actual uh, nuts and bolts of May Day. A little bit more. It's still, you're still seeing it from the perspective of the character. So there's still a lot of unknown there. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing about The Handmaid's Tale, kind of similar to some of the other things that we've been watching, is that it is based off of a book. The first season ends pretty similar to how the book ends. Yeah, where the novel ends. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, yeah. now we have a whole other season. People were kind of worried about, well, what is this season going to yeah, be? Yeah, because they no longer have the blueprint now. Right, right. But Atwood yeah. is still engaged with the writing staff. They're using her on a consultative basis, from my understanding. And I have to say, I, I've still, I'm still finding the show to be interesting. I think it still has stories to tell. It's still quite bleak and, and difficult to watch at times. Mm. Um, well, I mean, you know, the, the example that I'll bring up is The Leftovers. And when, when it went off book... Uh, actually, I think it it thrived. It thrived. Or, yeah, sure. I think it went. It became better show for doing that. Right. So I mean, I well, even with Dear them. White People, the first season was essentially uh, not a complete this. rehashing yeah. of the yeah. movie, but yeah. essentially just stretching out what the movie had to offer. And it mm. sounds like the second season it's doing its own thing now. Yeah, and it, it sounds like to the benefit of the show. No, definitely. I I think that's uh, very promising. Now you 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 mentioned recovery time earlier. Um, so, so speaking <laughs> of that, uh, I've had. Quite a long time to recover from Avengers: Affinity War. You know that. Really, that, you had to that, recover that, from that, it. It's a long, long film. It was a long film, but you know, honestly, after I watched it, it I just stopped. I ceased to think. Stop. I stopped thinking about <laughs> stopped. it. It's like it's like I evaporated into thin air or something. Oh, really? <laughs> I thought it was an ode to the leftovers at the end, but in any way. Well, whatever. so just to kind of make those connections there, you know, Carrie Coon was in Infinity War. Where, where was she? she I'm was, sorry. I know she was in it. But she I was, was like, one of the, she was the female bad character oh. of that group that, you know, said, I'm going to come back and kill you, whatever. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, she, but she's, she's in full makeup and she's, okay, maybe I didn't recognize she's her. one of those hench people. I see. I see. Of, okay. of Thanos. Um, it's sad that she has to. Well, I mean, whatever. She's getting work. Good for her. <laughs> but, but I just found it interesting that the the leftovers esque yes. kind of yes event. <laughs> Carrie Coon. Everyone, everyone yeah. knows this, right? Yeah, I mean, we, this has been over well, a month since the movie's been out. Yeah, so like, you know, you know, where randomly half the people disappear. <laughs> yeah, and that's. I mean, obviously, the leftovers isn't half, but still, yeah, it's. it's I don't know. I just think it's really. Co- almost comically, <laughs> cosmically, com- comic. I don't know. It's, it's funny to me. Yeah, I, I think that that's. I did see her name there. I was like, who? who where was yeah. she? Okay, she so was in that, full makeup yeah, and costume. So. Well, did you like that film? Did you? Are you? Are you waiting anxiously well, look, for the? I knew for a year from now. Yeah, I knew it conclude? was going to be a two-parter. Yeah, so honestly, yeah. to me, it's like we. I just watched half of a film, even mm-hmm. though it was incredibly long. Mm-hmm. So I didn't. Well, I know some people didn't realize that. Like, I talked to some people, they're like, oh, I was, you know, they were just really saddened by the ending. They were, I'm just like, you know that this is actually just half of the, you know, story. <laughs> yeah. and they're like, oh, you know, okay. and I'm just like, come on. Well, that's interesting you're, you're saying that, that people didn't know this. So, so okay. Some I'm, people just watched it because they want to watch and then, you know, no, no, I, that's great. You know, so I, and they don't they don't do all of like the follow up reading. Yeah, kind of like stuff. we we tend to do all that, and we we pay attention to the slate of films that are coming out. I think that's probably why the film didn't hit uh, hit emotionally for me because mm-hmm. you know you know that. You know, Marvel's going to put out these X Y Z films in the right. next couple of years, so and that you know that, that there's implications for the characters. Right. That you know that there are you know. certain characters that are most certainly not gone forever. But mm-hmm. you know, it's it's tricky because on one hand, I think because these movies keep having to, in some ways, outdo themselves, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there does have to be like these grand sweeping events that happen and clearly this movie didn't lack for those yeah but i think on the other hand because you know it's a part of this huge juggernaut of a franchise um it's it makes it less compelling knowing that there's going to be dozens and dozens of additional movies after this one yeah i mean i i i have a feeling in the next avengers film some serious things are going to happen which 
are going to be permanent. But um, but it's but, also but, because but, you know, we know that some of these actors want out of the con- franchise. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's, it's so it's, funny. Like <laughs> there's just like this meta thing that we are aware of that <laughs> right. affects the narrative of these films. But I, you know, in hearing some commentaries from people who are actual avid comic book readers, mm-hmm. they they felt very much like the these are movies. And you know they're they're serialized in a certain way. They, there's crossovers in a certain way that they feel like have been more faithful to the comic book experience than okay. anything else that they've experienced in terms of. You I've, know, I've, I've read films. that too. Yeah, I've read that. And and so we have to realize that the source material here, they're comic books, mm-hmm. and so it, they're going to do things like comic books do. There's always reboots in comic books. Like they'll they'll just say, okay, now we're cleaning the slate and we're starting back from issue number one. You know, and, yeah. And I yeah. can see maybe as this, you know, the the two part Infinity War movies as being kind of a reboot. Maybe there's going to be an alternate timeline. It's similar to maybe even what Star Trek did. I don't know if that's uh, going to yeah, happen, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I think that these are all possibilities, particularly because we know that time is involved in the manipulation of time. Sure. And so, you know, again, I don't know exactly. I, I don't think it's just going to be, hey, we're going to rewind everything and start from scratch. But mm-hmm. I think there is going to be a certain aspect of that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, sure. If they do that, that's fine. I, I, I do want to mention one performance in the the movie that I kind of... Uh, actually liked which maybe others didn't but i, I like josh brolin as thanos and what about his cgi character i, I, th- I thought it worked pretty well because it, it, it you looked could, like you, him you could still see the emo emoting in the face yeah that, which it reflect i mean i know that's hard to to do but like i thought right. it, i mean i don't know if, okay so like the only other thing i could think of to compare it against is is uh you know um Lord of the Rings, Gollum, and Gollum, and, and so, or you know that that's that was my issue though is that I I felt like yes I can see some emoting and things like that mm-hmm. but the the Thanos character Planet of the Apes too I forgot yeah yeah, yeah. yeah well yeah, anything yeah. with Andy Circus yeah, right because yeah. Andy Circus is clearly the master of this kind motion of capture. motion capture motion yeah. capture technology yeah. uh, with Gollum that he he really turned it into a thing but you thought it was clunky or not kind of no I just thought the Thanos himself, as a character, looked still a little cartoonish on the mm. screen. Okay. You know, he's this lumbering purple beast, and there, there was just something about him. And, and here's the thing, is that there are other characters in the series, in this franchise, that are not, you know, they have unusual coloration. You think of Zamora, you mm-hmm, think of, mm-hmm. um, I forget Zamora's sister's name, but, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. All these different characters, and... Thanos still just looked to me like just a CGI apparition. Yeah. And again, I'm glad you brought up Gollum because I was just going to bring up that was a, a character that was fully CGI yet felt like there was more of a soul there mm. in a way that I'm still having, and, and perhaps in the Planet of the Apes movies, but I haven't really seen that done. Yeah, Caesar as looks, well. looks more. Well, I, I kind of. Yeah. Chalk it up to Caesar being a, a monkey, so like right, that yeah. there, there's automatic. But the more. fact that you're able to yeah. just do that and feel that, and it's not distracting. I, I personally, again, I thought I'm sure Josh Brolin did a great job. The emotions on his face, but as as an overall character, I it, it still took me out of it a little bit. I, okay. I just it didn't I, mean, feel I, as, I might be biased yeah. toward it a little bit because I I listened recently to Mark Marin interview Brolin and I thought it was one of the best interviews on WTF so I highly recommend that and he talks about the process of going through uh you know having all these dots on your face and the the, the right. capture and how he actually loved do, do, doing Thanos I, I was surprised that he actually enjoyed it and you know he's now also in the Deadpool film so He's yeah. like fully in superhero mode, <laughs> right? <laughs> but you know, he's right. a really interesting guy, and uh, you know, I think he's really, I really liked how he talked about being an instrument, kind of at the, at the service of the story. Right. And, and again, know, some, I thought you know that's interesting. His you know, performance was yeah. fine. I ju- I just I don't know. They don't still just look like a glorified cartoon <laughs> okay, to me, okay. and that that was part of me. Whereas Fair enough. they've, I feel like they've done other things with other characters that have felt a little bit more organic Mm -hmm. uh thanos didn't feel as organic to me in that sense okay well um i thought that okay i I see what you're saying you know maybe there wasn't as much life breathe into that character as we would like uh i I will say however that 
our director hero, at least my director hero, Hiro Mirai, has breathed some <laughs> life into Barry, and I did actually watch the rest of Barry. I just, yeah, because you were, you were... I was really down on Barry. You were definitely down on Barry. Yeah. I was, I was a, a little bit more optimistic about the show. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like it still had redeeming qualities to it. Yeah. You're saying the show has... I, will, I, I still don't like it overall however <laughs> however i did see chapters five and six and i saw all the way through, through chapters eight um but i i only watched it all because of dave chen on on the slash film cast and he was he, so into well, it he was really into it and he was, yeah. he was really moved by the ending so i was like all right i should just try to watch it all the way mm-hmm. and five and six were really really good and i realized later that hero mariah who's Directed a lot of the episodes, most most of the notable episodes in Atlanta's uh, seasons mm-hmm. one and two, yeah. and, and the This Is America video, yes, by, yes, by Childish yeah. Gambino. Yeah. So, I mean, he's having his moment. You know, as he well. definitely is having his moment. Um, so, I mean, chapter five and six, there's there's a lot of uh, action there with uh, you know Barry hooks up with these guys who are. Uh, helping him, or not—not not that he wants to, but they want to. These ex marines, ex marines, yeah, want to help him with, yeah. uh, take out these uh, these um, uh, drug dealers. I liked the Tyler character, to be honest. I thought he was—I mean, he's supposed to just be this meathead marine guy who wants to kill people. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I thought there was something just really kind of fascinating about his character. That be, <laughs> well, simply because okay. he's he's obviously there for comedic purposes, but yeah. there's there was kind of like this. Um, you know, post-military, uh, you know... What am I supposed to do? Yeah, what am I supposed to do yeah. with my life? Yeah. Um, yeah, And he really, I thought, embodied that in a way that I hadn't necessarily seen before. Because he wasn't suffering from PTSD no, in, he was in, fine. in the classic, you know, sense of he it. He just didn't know what how he couldn't transition back into but, civilian life. But yeah, life. <laughs> his, his, his life was completely just... Uh, abnormal yeah um, based on his experience i just thought it was he was an interesting character and also i thought he was kind of funny in his own way no i i think so too uh i just uh, the main thing i bring it up bring up barry for is hero moran i just i'm just really uh impressed with the direction there's a lot of kinetic energy infused in those episodes that i felt were was lacking in the previous episodes and even sure. the last two which he was involved with weren't quite up to snuff in, in in my opinion but anyway i'm just kind of in awe of this guy right now who's done such great work in the past year and i'm hoping he you know maybe ends up with a feature and see what he can do in the long form yeah it'll be it'll coming. be interesting because you know he started out as a music video director Mm-hmm. Then, you know, through his connections with Donald Glover, started doing episodic television. Now, I'm, yeah, it's, it's always interesting to see kind of where that leads things. I think it doesn't always lead to a successful film career. Yeah, but, no, no. You know, um, yeah, he's definitely one to look out for. He's, he's talented for sure. Yeah, so anyway, that's kind of what I've been watching. Is there anything else that you are really, you know, wanting to talk about? Well, I mean, you know, I'm always kind of uh, a sucker for TV comedies. I try to support, (laughs) you know, TV comedies. The half-hour comedy format, I think, is going through a pretty major transition. It's been interesting to see, you know, the networks kind of had their annual... uh, purging yeah but also yeah, 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 yeah. they're up fronts that follow that and yeah. you know one of the shows that um unfortunately depending on who you talk to didn't make it past this season is the new girl and they actually only i think ordered i want to say eight episodes in total for their How many final seasons season. was that show on i want to say it was at least five okay. something that's like a pretty that. good five run. or six yeah it was a decent run yeah, yeah. and you know Thinking of, when you think of the network half-hour comedy, usually it's, you know, 20-plus episodes a season, mm. and they only ordered eight, and, you know, it's a long-running comedy. It, it it feels like they kind of gave it a little bit of, like, the a short shrift at the end there. Okay. But, um... Does it end satisfyingly to you? I mean, I don't know if they they knew that they were going to end when no, they did. No, yeah, they, I, think, okay. I think they knew, um... You know, it's always interesting to talk about ends of television shows and how it's done. Uh, you know, there are certain shows, you know, again, when you think about the half-hour comedy, of course, you know, Seinfeld being, you know, one of the more controversial ones. Mm-hmm. But even when you think more recently, like Parks and Recreation, they definitely took some risks. They did a flash-forward, 
last season where they it took place like a number of years into the future mm. but i thought that they did an interesting job of wrapping up their show i i definitely enjoyed that last season the new girl to me was very mixed they also did a similar type of thing where they went a number of years in the future okay um and so you know at that point you know the gang is not all living together anymore yeah and, and so yeah. It's, it, it, it definitely had a different feel to it it didn't have kind of like that same carefree ease to it it felt a little bit more labored i thought mm. But, you know, it still had its funny moments. It's, it's, it still took care of its characters. And, you know, it it's done now. I, I think it um, wasn't well, interesting. A lot of those performers are talented enough that I'm, you know, I'll yeah. be looking forward to see what they do next. Yeah, I mean, you know? it's, it's interesting because Zoe Deschanel was more of a film star. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. you know, I, people thought it was strange that she decided to take on a television <laughs> sitcom. But, you know, she really embodied that role. And mm. I think the supporting cast came you know, to inhabit their own life and command the screen. And it wasn't just actually about her. And, and the other male characters actually, I thought, rose to the challenge. All I remember about the new girl, and I, I banned it after the first season, was that <laughs> one of the characters was recast or something. And I I don't know why, but... Well, it was just know. after the, the pilot episode. Yeah, the pilot. Because yeah, the pilot yeah. was filmed, obviously, way before it was ordered to full season. Got it. And... Um, it was Damon Wayans Jr. who played the original token black guy. Okay. <laughs> but then, because Happy Endings was being canceled. I see. Which was a show he was on. But then Happy Endings got picked up again for one more season. Okay. So he went back to Happy Endings and then they replaced him. And I have to also say, That's interesting. in terms of sh- like shows that should be saved, yeah. people, you know, after everything that happened with Brooklyn Nine-Nine recently, yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone is just like... Can we bring back happy endings, please? Because I personally thought the show was hilarious. There's this weird cult following with that show. So anyway, (laughs) it's just interesting, this whole culture now of with networks competing within themselves for shows and yeah. then streaming services maybe picking they up always shows. say like oh the mindy project can, can the net netflix or hulu save them if yeah. if, if uh, another network won't save them but with but brooklyn 99 it was a network saving another network show which i thought was really the only th- other precedent i can think of is scrubs yeah. that, that yes. happened with scrubs that did happen with yeah, scrubs. that was the only other one i could think of nbc is always involved with yeah these i don't know what to do that's this. true it did happen with scrubs yeah I, it's such it's just a strange thing for another network to take a show from well i know an embassy was originally pitched brooklyn 99 so there might have been something and i think the production company is affiliated with nbc too like there's there's a lot of incestuous things happening of course but very fascinating no it is it is uh i started watching brooklyn 99 as a result i had not watched one single episode like episode one season yeah episode one season i have seen that episode (laughs) i started watching it because i was like What's the big deal about the show? It's actually pretty funny. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. it's a decent show. You know, yeah. workplace comedy. You know, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it's just always. I, I'm just the whole industry. I think is is going through things. Yeah, and I'm not sure what it's going to look like. I don't. I don't know either. I mean, all I could think of is like there's so many gazillion shows on so many different platforms and it's like how do you keep it up i think it's impossible really you know you, you it's this is an unsustainable business model you think? I, I i don't know like they but they said that three two three right. years ago and it's still like growing the number of shows but so, i think I with streaming though you have more these companies have more of an access to an international audience now uh, yeah yeah, um, yeah yeah and it's going both ways i think That's we're true. now being exposed to shows that we normally wouldn't have watched if it weren't for streaming services and yeah there was there was a random show called the rain on the on netflix from denmark and i was like wow what is this and like there was a the the, that german show dark on netflix too i'm like like what why you know (laughs) but people are watching them and so maybe you know maybe there is still a way to sustain this if you include the global audience i'm not sure Yeah, yeah, yeah well in any case um i think we're gonna now transition to our official discussion on fahrenheit 451 that's how I'm going to say it. Okay. Um, but before we do it, we are going to have you listen to a little bit of a clip. This is a an intense conversation between Michael B. Jordan's character and uh, Michael Shannon's character. Yeah, the, the two, two Michaels. Yeah, the two, the two leads. Uh, Michael B. Jordan is playing a character named Guy Montag. Same name as in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and Michael Shannon plays his captain, Captain Beatty. So let's take a listen. Go on. Don't stop reading to me. Sir. Next page! 
Did you think that one tiny crime would be wiped out by thousands of good deeds? That there would be no punishment? Little knowledge is a dangerous thing. You read a few lines, you're ready to blow up the world, chop heads off, destroy authority. I know. I've been through it all. Now what do you want to do? I want to burn. Montag. My brother. Let's burn. Alright, so that was Michael B. Jordan and Michael Shannon, the two Michaels as you call them. I was waiting for Shannon to say, like, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Oh, God. Something like this, was, this was the coach moment? <laughs> yeah, the coach. Co- coach yeah. Taylor? Coach Taylor. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so uh, what, what do you make of this? This is, you know, is this a well, well, adaptation so, that we need now? Or I th- like, well, so I thought know? it was interesting because, again, you know, we talked about having read this book in our adolescence. I don't remember it, honestly. I, I don't remember all of the details, but I actually yeah. do remember enjoying the book. Okay. It, was, it was one of the books yeah. that I feel like I enjoyed more than some of the other things that we read. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because and there's there's one scene, there's a lot of close-ups of books that you see throughout the film, mm. particularly when they're being burned. And there's one shot where there's a book being burned and it says Ray Bradbury yeah. as the yeah, author, yeah, which yeah. I thought yeah. was, kind was kind of interesting. Yeah, that was but, fun. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, I, I liked the book, and I don't remember all the details, so it's hard for me to say what parts of the book the movie was completely faithful to, and what parts of the book the movie took liberties with. Clearly it did, though, because the book was written a while back before the advent of a lot of, it was a lot of the technology. It was written during the, the McCarthy era, yeah. you know, and... Uh, and it was yeah. commenting on some of the, the fears that people had at that time about censorship, about free speech. And there was also, later on, Bradbury's said that he he wrote it because he was concerned about the power of mass media, which to him at that point was probably television and and, and movies, and how it kind of uh, diminished the power of literature or the, uh, you know, appeal of literature for younger people. Right. Which, you know... You know, that's legitimate. But then, like today, we have even more bigger threats to that, I would would argue. So, it was interesting because the first, in the first few minutes of the movie, they do a good job of establishing the setting in that you know that this is some future dystopia because Mm -hmm. there's a proliferation of technology in the movie from the beginning. And, you know, it's, it's reminiscent of some of the things that you might see in Blade Runner, mm-hmm. where there's buildings and the whole buildings are lit up with images mm-hmm. that are controlled by the powers that be. Um, and there's like an internet called the Nine. Right. You know, and, and it's and the only internet that people are allowed to use. And so it's, it's kind of like China, you know, right. for controlling of... In, in a certain way, but it's also meant to appease or to soothe the general populace mm-hmm. they're they're still able to use it for enjoyment and, in and fact, you could still read a couple of books from what i remember like you there, read the bible the, yeah. the lighthouse and i think moby dick i remember yeah. those three books being yes. allowed to be accessed there's a scene where they're indoctrinating young children into their way of thinking you yeah know? so yeah, you yeah. know all those types of images um so you know that it takes place in some future dystopia that the original book never could have Im- have imagined mm-hmm. and the first thing that came to my mind was what about ebooks because yeah. the, you know the whole story is about burning books yeah and at that time that was the only place where information was essentially stored now we know that information is stored more so you know digitally than it is anywhere else there's there's so much more digital well, this content. is this is my problem with the film right like now they have the first scene of what, what when they're burning something is a bunch of servers right because they were mm-hmm. able to find this cache of yeah. people but who it's have... like do you not know how the cloud works yeah <laughs> yeah i was kind of like couldn't they find some way to like disseminate all these books through through the cloud or whatever right. you know but and, like they have you know, only restricted access and it's you know so 
it, it's not the the rules aren't entirely entirely clear for for these the eels as they call them for for the underground groups because and they're called eels i think it's short for illegals and so yeah. you know it's like they have this catchy lingo i i don't yeah. know i mean you you can already tell that I'm exasperated with this, this film. Well, okay. So anyway. So well, I so I think that they they worked pretty hard to try to make modernize the story a bit. You know, the the yeah. the, origi- the original yeah. story was about controlling the population through the burning of books and that sort of thing. Whereas here it they couldn't eradicate technology completely, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, this isn't Gilead, like in The Handmaid's Tale, where, yeah. you know, there essentially is no access to technology anymore. Um, technology still plays a big role in this society. And there's there's a certain scene in the movie where one of the characters, you know, she's like the, the inn in the other side of the world. You know, whereas the main character, Guy Montag, he plays the law enforcement side. Then you have Clarice McClellan. She's played by Sophia Butella. And she's kind of a double agent in that, you know, she works with the eels, but she's also an informant for the, you know, the firefighters. Mm-hmm. And in any case, you know, she basically says, you know, this is a world that we created for ourselves. We, you know, we asked for this. World. Yeah, we, we took the path of least resistance yeah. and, and decided that we would rather be placated by the, the pleasures of what technology can provide us and not the more difficult aspects of it and the, the knowledge that comes with it. Do, do you... Okay. So, I mean, I just have to ask this question because it's still, like, in, in my head and I haven't been able to figure it out. Okay. Like, it's been bothering me since, like, I stopped watching it or after it ended. I did watch the entire thing. Okay. Um, I mean, it does... It's, does the casting of Michael B. Jordan, a black man, matter? And, like, was there supposed to be some symbolism there? or did And did they not use that in any meaningful way? Or is, is it just, like, he's just a hot... Co- hot actor and so they just wanted to use it like i, I kind of want like i was like is this an opportunity missed or or just clumsily executed or not were they not even trying to go for that at all well it's to me it was it reminded me a little bit of also the handmaid's tale in mm-hmm. that there are certain characters that either were ambiguous in their racial background in the book yeah or maybe you know, nothing was mentioned of, of the color of their skin. Because Shannon's character says some at some point, you know, Huck Finn was banned because there was the N-word and we yeah. didn't want to offend black people, so we got rid of that right. book. Um, and so in The Handmaid's Tale, you know, there are, again, there are certain characters that are, are black. I think, you know, Offred's yeah. uh, best friend yeah, yeah, before yeah. everything went down. Yeah. You know, she's a black woman. And... Some of the criticism that the show took is that they really don't address kind of any kind of racial issues. It's in, almost in as if the tale. racial issues were resolved before this dystopia, right? You know, took because there are, there took, are took a shape. There's a know? scene where you see all of like the commanders in a banquet hall, and there are commanders of color. Mm-hmm. So it leads me to believe that you know all of th- there's not as much of a racial. So you think that's similarly. Here? Uh, address you. I mean, I'm, I'm so, bringing this up because, like, you know, Montag's father, right? He he was a fireman. He was a fireman, yeah. But then we find, you know, he yeah. he was also a, a lover of books, like, right? You know. Well, so the reason why I brought up the Handmaid's Tale is because again, there was casting that I don't know if it necessarily deviated from the source material, but mm-hmm. it just wasn't made clear. Yeah, and it's kind of the yeah. same thing in Fahrenheit 451. I don't yeah. think Guy Montag's character was clearly described as a white man or a black man yeah um and and so i think they kind of were like well Well, let's let's cast a black person in this character and it's almost kind of like i don't know if you saw the musical hamilton Mm -hmm. but a big part of hamilton is they cast i mean the entire cast is predominantly people of color who are playing people who we actually know from history were not people of color um and it's kind of like that I don't know what you call that colorblind casting mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. casting in a way where it actually doesn't matter to a certain extent that the, even if the original characters were white, you can still tell the story. Sure. But with, okay. Hamilton aside, I mean, I, yeah. I, I see what you're saying yeah. there, but I mean, 
I just kind of wondered, is there a deliberate casting of a black man in, in Montag? And was he trying to say something with that? And I felt like not really. I, I couldn't discern anything from it, except maybe that, you know, uh, so, someone coming out of consciousness of being oppressed. But I mean, I don't know. That yeah. that seems kind of uh, far-fetched. I, I think know? in terms of casting Michael B. Jordan, I... I, it doesn't seem, at least it wasn't, it didn't seem deliberate in that they wanted to make a commentary with that casting. Okay. But based on the movie as a whole, however, yeah, it does seem that more of the folks who were underground, there seemed to be a higher percentage of people of color. In so I was trying to remember, groups. were there any other firemen who were black besides him? I mean, no one of note and yeah. all of, all of the predominant ones that you see are white men. And then there's this one part where, like, after Montag kind of uh, has his awakening, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And he no longer is in the good graces of um, Michael Shannon's character. There's, like, a kind of a white, like, a bigger white character who says, like, mm-hmm. boy, you know, you don't, yeah. you don't. Like, and I was kind of like, are they trying to do something with race here or not? Like, I, I, don't, I, I didn't like, get the sense you know, that they were specifically doing that with Michael B. Jordan's character. But again, because when you look at a lot of, you know, the the underground people, yeah, there again there were there were plenty, but it just seemed like there was more diversity. Yeah, okay, there, okay, okay. Um, but again, I don't I don't know if again I don't think the sh- the, the movie was. Focused on that. Okay, the reason I brought any of this up was yeah. that for me, I was like, okay, maybe that is an opportunity to kind of make this, uh, to say something new with this material. Because I don't really mm-hmm. feel like this film or the source material really works now. In the, in the, with the it, modern embellishments? Like, I feel like the technology has advanced so far in our, even just in our times, and then mm-hmm. to extrapolate it further into this other future, like, it, it, right. it didn't make a lot of sense. Okay. Uh, and, I, and I bring this up because, like, I recently saw The King of Comedy. That's that's a film by Martin Scorsese back in the 80s. And mm-hmm. in, in that film, Martin, uh, Martin Scorsese has uh, Robert De Niro play this, like, down and out uh, wannabe comedian who kidnaps Jerry Lewis in order to get on his show so that he can become famous. But Mm -hmm. I'm like, today you would just go on YouTube and have your own show. Right, right. You know, and like, you know... So you couldn't make that same movie today. No, it wouldn't make any sense. Or like... Robin Williams's movie One Hour Photo. Yeah, would, no, you would never. <laughs> that would not that work. Would, that would not work. But today's exactly. no, that's, no, that's, but, that's that's much more succinct way of yeah. saying. Yeah, it's like the technology has advanced to a point where it doesn't make like you, yeah. you brought up ebooks earlier. Like yeah, like yes, there would be controls on how you can access it. But right. if someone really wanted that stuff, they could I would just turn off on. the Wi-Fi on my Kindle and just read my Kindle. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. I guess. It just there's something about the technology like I didn't yeah. think it was very thought through that it doesn't make sense and then like you have these I mean I think they were trying to say something about today like because like obviously these the, the videos they cast of them burning books is very reminiscent of like Facebook Live you know where right. like there's like little smiley faces flying across the yes, screen yes it it, you know? it feels like modern day social media that is government controlled you know there's uh, a proliferation of cameras and kind of the whole idea of Amazon's Alexa yeah. being used as a government, Mo-Mo-C. Mo-Mo-C. yeah, yeah, using yeah, used yeah. as a government tool yeah, to, yeah, to yeah. basically surveil their. Which people citizens. are concerned about that anyway today with like, like I don't have yeah. one of those in my home, but right, like, but some people really so dig it. I think <laughs> adding that, you know, the the use of drones mm-hmm. as as a part of their yeah, operations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I I do agree with you that it's hard to completely resolve this story with technology and i think they really did try and i think again they used i mean again the, the movie is there's a blanket of technology that covers the entire movie mm-hmm. and yet it's not perfectly executed but i still think that they were able to add in a lot of things that i thought were at least kind of interesting at least in terms of you know how can the government use these things kind of against us okay. you know I mean, is this anything 
more or less or whatever than a Black Mirror episode. I mean, you know, like, not that Black Mirror episodes aren't great. They are great. But I'm just saying, you know, well, you, I, you have... Let's be honest. Some of them are not that great. Okay, yeah. Some of them are... I feel like some of them are not that great. Okay, fine, but. fine, fine. <laughs> not every one of them are great. But when but, they're good, they're really good. So I'm trying to say, is, is this a San Junipero or is this, like, one of those other lesser episodes? Like, I don't... Yeah. I feel like it doesn't even reach... It doesn't come close to a San Junipero or, or, or like, a... Well, it's... You know, it's, it's just a different thing. I mean, I, again, I thought there were certain things that they, I thought they did were kind of cool where, you know, they incorporated a lot more like modern literature as well. It wasn't just about the old classics. No, you see Harry, Harry Potter and burn. Yeah, you see Harry Potter or, you know, they mention um, certain books that came out recently. Like they mentioned one of Zadie Smith's novels, oh, yeah, White, White Teeth. Teeth. Um, I didn't like it that the Chinese girl was... Memori- had to memorize the, the Chairman Mouse or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> She's Chairman Mao. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? And she was a bad actress too. I'm sorry. Yeah. She like, anyway, but like, I, I, I thought that was a little too um, uh, on the nose or something. I, I, I didn't. I wasn't thrilled with this film. If you haven't figured it out yet, I, yeah. And I and I think it has to do with the fact that I think. The material is too. The source material is too old to adapt into our modern times. That just basically. But I can see at a, at a at a pitch meeting or something, someone being like, "Oh yeah, this is gonna like really be a reimagining reimagining a Fahrenheit four fifty one for today's modern age." I think the story is still relevant because of everything that's happening in the world. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just saying, yeah, yeah, like yeah. the intention behind it. Slow down and read novels yeah. and and. <laughs> I Whatever. think the intention behind it is good, but I do I do agree that um, you know upon watching it, I felt like essentially it's somewhat disposable, yeah. which is kind of sad because that you do first. have talents like Michael B. Jordan and Michael Shannon who have both proven to be really excellent in different movies. I, I, I do want to say of. like like <laughs> David Biancooli, who's on uh, Fresh Air, yeah, he's a critic, TV critic. He he, he had the best line that I read about. Uh, reviewing this this show saying this movie saying like you know ironically or or maybe pointedly you know it makes you want to read the source material <laughs> like you know, like it does its job like, yeah turn off this movie true. and go watch the, yeah, and, go and read, read the book. go read 451 yeah, read the book <laughs> absolutely um I, I also it made me think about just the the state of i i think with Everything and all this energy that it's being focused on the small screen now. Mm, you know, you, mm. you have the biggest name actors that we're used they're to seeing. They're willing to do TV. Yeah, they want to do, do TV. TV. They you do have yeah. really talented directors and writers moving towards the television format. You know, and I think they've found, they've struck the balance between, okay, we're not going to do 22 episodes for five seasons. We'll do maybe just 10 to 15 episodes yeah. and, and smaller chunks. And we're yeah. seeing this kind of concentration of quality in the television world. And so it makes me think about, well, okay, so now these networks, these streaming services, they probably also want to make movies as well. And we're, we're seeing that. And HBO has been making movies forever. Lifetime has been making movies yeah, forever. You know, sure, like these sure, networks sure. make movies. But when, when you say Lifetime movie, you, you, it's usually not... <laughs> it's a, a euphemism uh, for a <laughs> shitty movie. Yeah, I yeah. get that. HBO movie, on the other hand, maybe has a little more cachet. But even then, it's been traditionally... What I've noticed is a lot of Al Pacino biopics, you know, <laughs> you know like he's playing various real-life figures or things like that. I mean, I, I, can't, I, I can't honestly remember... Like a HBO film or even a Netflix film, except maybe um, uh, the last last year the Mudbound. Mudbound. Besides that, I can't think but, of anything. But was Mudbound really, like, actually like conceived at no, the Netflix no, level? No, it's no, something it that they bought. No, right? they, exactly. So I exactly. think that's 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 its own thing. Okay, so they, they so the yeah, rights. when it's conceived by the. Uh, network uh, for back yeah, like, like service they they like for netflix for example yeah. you think of bright or you think of yeah. you know all the adam sandler movies that those came from ne- netflix, netflix yes. itself yes, yes and and so i i it just makes me think about as much as tv in some ways is producing some of the best work that we're seeing on, on any screen on any screen yeah 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 i, I still feel like films is is this weird blind spot with with television networks and streaming networks yeah. that when they try to conceive of their own film from scratch, it often 
doesn't like, work. Like I can imagine, and why is that? I don't, I don't know why that is. Like, like I, I'm trying to imagine. Like, like, do you remember Michael Clayton from a couple uh-huh, of years yeah. ago? Like, I, I can imagine. I would imagine like an HBO should be able to come up with something like that, but right. I don't feel like it has. Right? Yeah. Like, you know, and, is it because the most talented directors? Have yet to, to. I can't think of maybe that might be a part of it because director. I feel like those directors still very much want their stuff on a big on screen. a big screen. Now yeah. we're gonna have this test with with uh, Netflix, Netflix with the Irishman with Scorsese. I mean, yeah. this this was a net. This is a Netflix yeah. film, and this right? is Scorsese. This is Scorsese. Yeah. So, yeah. but like. You know, I don't, I don't know, I don't even know how that's going to play out. Was it, was it going to be day, same day, day, day in the service and on a big screen, or is it going to be staggered or whatever? Like, you yeah, know, I have no idea. But it's, like, I just, it, it still, it just boggles my mind a little bit that that there's still this weird gap. And so, it to me, what 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 it means to me anyway is as yeah. much as television and streaming networks are kind of taking over the world in terms of entertainment, mm-hmm. there still is such an important 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 piece that comes from filmmaking done i guess quote unquote the traditional way that is separate from these television networks you know because as, as much as the film industry in some ways is there must really be struggling some, there must be some weird psychic thing with yeah. you know, a, a, among a multitude of creators that they can't right. they can't bridge this gap this yeah. whatever i don't i don't know yeah i i hear you on yeah. that I, I, but it, but it's it, you know and this is a trend that's been going on for a while it, the Film industry is acting more like a television network now in their decision making with the franchises and things that they're chasing after. Um, You could argue the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a one long television show, right? Right. I mean, you could. But but they're creating again. If it is though, Mm -hmm. it's still something that's working though. It's still creating entertainment that people are watching and consuming that is at of a high quality. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess you know I don't necessarily have any you know. Things that I feel like needs you know need to happen or whatever. It's just it was just an interesting thought to me after I watched this movie because here you had the talent, you had a lot of things going for it, yeah, and yet a lot of great things going. It it, it still you felt, have two prime film actors yeah. in the lead roles and right. I don't know this. and the production value felt fine. No, all of it. You know, looks, none of yeah, that was the yeah. issue. I just think there was something missing. And I don't know if it's just because it wasn't big name talent behind the camera or because television networks and streaming networks still don't know how to make a good feature film yet i don't know i have no answers sorry <laughs> <laughs> maybe some of the listeners out there can can prove us wrong and give us examples of films that were produced from a network that were highly highly excellent i i can't think of one i but, honestly yeah. can't think of one yeah right. i feel, I yeah, feel yeah. the same way so yeah. anyway yeah with that note we are going to go back to the small screen well i guess we're still in the small screen but yeah. we're going back to more episodic television and yep. ne- next week we're going to talk about um a streaming network that we haven't actually reviewed before no youtube red yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and they're making big waves with cobra kai yeah. which is again uh, a reboot if you will Based eh. off of a film. Continuation. A continuation. After, yeah, I guess but, it's more of a continuation. Yeah. But, you know, we, we saw this happening with, you know, Roseanne, Will and Grace, all mm-hmm. these shows. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing it with the Karate Kid franchise. Yeah. So, <laughs> here we go. Cobra, Cobra Kai. Kai. We'll, we'll cover it next Please time. Please listen next week to hear our thoughts about that. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.